Hi, this is Mo Oster, MISNI's Senior Vice President for Advocacy. I lead a team of lobbyists fighting for you in Albany and sometimes in Washington, D.C. Happy holidays and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this podcast throughout the year. As we come towards the end of the year, the top story, of course, continues to be the state's response to the significantly rising COVID caseloads. As yesterday, New York recorded over 18,000 new COVID cases. Hospitalizations have jumped over 70% since Thanksgiving, and Governor Hochul has reinstituted a mask-wearing mandate inside all businesses across the state. Last week, the Hochul administration began to roll out its limitation on some hospitals performing elective surgery. 32 hospitals, all along the I-90 Thruway corridor in the Adirondacks, exceeded thresholds set by the Hochul administration, requiring postponement of non-essential surgeries and procedures. MISNI physician leaders and staff had met multiple times with Governor Hochul's top healthcare staff to discuss the rollout of this emergency order giving DOH authority to limit elective procedures at certain hospitals that have less than 10% staff bed availability. Importantly, this elective surgery limitation is far more measured than earlier iterations, specifically not applicable to single specialty facilities like a cancer treatment facility, non-hospital-owned ambulatory surgery centers, and office-based surgery practices. It will also not apply to services provided at a hospital-owned AMSurge center if that hospital has more than 5% bed availability. The procedures that are considered essential and not subject to the restrictions include cancer, including diagnostic procedure for suspected cancer, neurosurgery, intractable pain, highly symptomatic patients, transplants, trauma, cardiac with symptoms, limb-threatening vascular procedures, and dialysis vascular access. Perhaps most importantly, there is an important catch-all provision to provide flexibility to physicians and their patients to enable procedures not on this exempted list, where the physician believes the patient is at a clinically high risk of harm if their procedure is not completed. The health department continues to review the bed capacity at hospitals and could add or remove various hospitals from the list. Please stay tuned for further details. Turning our attention to Congress, we want to thank the many physicians across the state who took the time to send a letter to their members of Congress, asking them throughout the fall to take action to prevent a 10% cut to Medicare physician payment that had been scheduled to go into effect on January 1st. These actions, combined with the efforts of your colleagues in other states, resulted in Congress passing legislation last week to prevent these staggering and ill-timed cuts from being implemented. I would note that while most of the cuts are prevented at least for a year, a 1% Medicare sequester cut is scheduled to go into effect on April 1st, and a 2% sequester cut scheduled for July 1st. Further advocacy will be necessary again before you know it. Also last week, the AMA and the American Hospital Association filed a lawsuit in the D.C. federal court against several federal agencies challenging these agencies' misguided implementation of one aspect of the federal No Surprises Act. This follows a similar lawsuit filed by the Texas Medical Association last month in a federal court in Texas against the same federal agencies arguing that the regulator's interpretation of the No Surprises Act deviated from what Congress enacted. 
Specifically, the federal regulation adopted in September directs arbiters under a dispute resolution mechanism for determining payment for out-of-network surprise bills to presume that the health insurer's self-determined median in-network rate is the appropriate payment and limits what, when and how other factors come into play. The TMA and AMA lawsuits argue that the regulations are an improper deviation of a law as written by Congress, which did not call for any one factor to be the dominant consideration over the others. And this, of course, is far different from New York's IDR mechanism for surprise medical bills for patients covered through state-regulated plans, which looks at a series of factors, including usual and customary charges, and without any one factor being dominant. With a TMA filing a motion for summary judgment last Friday, the Physicians Advocacy Institute will be filing an amicus brief to support this action on behalf of itself and 10 other state medical societies, including MISNI. It is likely that many, many state and specialty societies will also join the AMA action. Now, physicians are reminded that the lawsuit on this one aspect of the No Surprises Act will not prevent the law's core patient protections from being required to be followed on January 1st. MISNI has written several newsletter articles regarding other key provisions of the No Surprises Act that physicians should be sure they are following. To that end, a New York State Department of Financial Services circular letter is likely to be issued today that seeks to provide clarification of several components of New York's law that may be inconsistent with the No Surprises Act, such as clarifying that previously exempted CPT codes frequently billed by emergency room physicians, such as 99281 to 99285, are no longer exempted from New York Surprise Bill Law, clarifying that the insured's cost sharing for an out-of-network surprise bill situation will be calculated based upon the health insurer's initial payment amount to the physician, hospital, or other care provider, clarifying that patients cannot be asked to waive protections for both emergency and surprise out-of-network bills, clarifying that even if a patient does not sign an assignment form, upon receipt of a claim from a physician for a surprise bill or for emergency services, the insurer must send the initial payment or notice of denial of the payment directly to the physician, and reminding physicians and other care providers of the new federal requirement to post on their website and in their practice location a model form that sets forth patient protections against balance billing. The DFS circular letter to be posted today will contain a reference to a model form that physicians can use for this purpose. There are also likely to be other upcoming DFS circular letters addressing other rules related to providing 90-day continuity of care for patients after a healthcare provider leaves a network, and consequences of provider directory misinformation. Again, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these podcasts throughout the year and for your ongoing commitment to MISNI, your county medical society, and your patients. Our staff at MISNI wish you a happy holidays. There will be a lot of legislation and regulatory proposals relative to healthcare in 2022 that will fill future podcasts. Stay tuned.